0: Everybody, it's Michael Corley and welcome to this episode, of, actually the inaugural episode of the I-501CU, the Podcast for Nonprofit Board of Directors. My guest today is Susie Bowie, the Executive Director for the Manatee Community Foundation. Susie has been in the philanthropic space for about 16 years and brings a wealth, a wealth of information working with, with boards and executive directors. So I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed interviewing Susie.
1: Hey everybody, Reed Corley here to let you know we will be releasing a new podcast every week. If you want to be the best board member you can be, visit our website, thecorleycompany.com to sign up for our email list to be the first to know when a podcast drops.
0: Well, Susie Bowie, it is wonderful to have you on the I-501CU, the podcast for a board of directors. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. How are you today?
0: I'm doing good. This is exciting. So you are our inaugural guest. This is you're the first podcast that we're doing. And we really appreciate you sharing your, your wisdom and your insight with us today. Now, I'll, I'll preface it with this. I've I, and I know I've shared this with you before. Um, I firmly believe that everybody ought to serve on a nonprofit board of directors. Certainly every business leader ought to. And there are a number of reasons for that from a leadership development perspective but what's fascinating is there's no school to go to when people decide to serve. So I'm curious as we're talking about leadership development, we're talking about board service, what makes a good board member? What are your observations? What have you seen? Who makes a good board member?
2: Boy, that's a great question. And thanks so much for having me on as your first guest. It's exciting for me, but also it's something I love to learn about and talk about. I I love being around boards. And I think the first thing, Michael, is really a true interest in learning. That makes a great board member because people come on boards with all kinds of skills and experiences and things that they're bringing with them that can make the organization stronger. But if they first have the quality of truly wanting to learn and understand the mission of the organization, understand the culture of the organization, understand the programs that that organization administers and how they work. I think that's an incredible quality and trait of a board member, because let's face it, there's a lot to learn about every organization and why it's even in our community, but how it serves the community. So starting with that, but also really a sense of openness, a sense of openness to dialogue with other board members and the expertise they bring with them, a sense of openness to change, you know, what? what is it that that board member can best contribute when they're serving on the board, and the change that they want to personally drive while they're at the organization. So that openness and learning, I think, are two really good traits of, of board members.
0: Well, and I appreciate that. And and so you've in your roles and and we've we talked about your bio in introduction, you've seen hundreds and hundreds of boards and those that make boards effective. Are there traits or qualities that make an individual not a good board member?
2: That's that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, probably what I see the most often is someone that does not have the ability to debate in a healthy way, right? Like we, we should all be parts of boards because we're bringing our perspectives to the table, but we need to be prepared to debate those without being offensive or being offended, right? If someone challenges the point of view that we bring to the board. And so I think part of a healthy board is having people who can come to that table and say, you know what? I have a little different way of looking at this and I just want to challenge the board or even the CEO with looking at looking at it in this way but you know if it's not eventually accepted by the whole board it's time to move on and every once in a while I know you've seen this Michael you find people that come to the board and they just can't get over their own perspective right it's not something that's accepted by everyone The board is going in a different direction at that point someone's got to be able to say you know what I'm not going to die on this hill I'm going to keep going so I think that ability to, and, and not to be afraid to bring a debate to the board, right? We, we have boards intentionally because we need to have the very different perspectives around the table. And we want to find people that are not afraid to go against the grain. But at the end of the day, they have to be able to go with the final board decision, whatever that may be.
0: You know, in this day and age where, you know, having d- discussion can be challenging, which is unfortunate, but you bring up a really good point. We, we want to have a diverse board of directors, diversity in thought, and maybe any number of other aspects as well. And some of that is just, you know, background, uh, and then coming together to have those engaging discussions. I, I, has that become more challenging over the years, do you think, or, or is it a function of, you know, the composition of the board?
2: That's a great question. I think it's definitely become more challenging just because of the politicized nature that we live in now. People are so eager to jump on another person if we don't share the same perspectives. But one of the great things about a nonprofit boardroom is it is a safe space where different ideas and different perspectives can be shared, and they're supposed to be shared for the overall health of the organization. So when you mentioned that you think that every, you know, business person, every Leaders should be serving on a board. I agree with you because it's a great training ground for debate. It's a great place where we're coming together, aligned, and believing in a single mission. And when we're having that debate for the greater good, it enhances our skills to come together and have different different perspectives. And I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned the word diversity because you know diversity and inclusion has become um, very much a buzzword. It's very important. I think we're realizing it's more important now. Than ever, But that diversity in thought is something that we often overlook and we need that in order for a board to move the organization forward.
0: Well, and, and I just know from personal experience, I was on a board years ago in one of the, the most frustrating board members to me, but probably the one I learned from the most was somebody in a completely different background. African-American grew up completely different than me and it 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 was such a learning experience to listen to him talk. He's also a preacher well entrenched in our community and to listen to his viewpoints on things and his perspectives taught me so much about the world and, and about my in, inherent biases just by you know how I was raised that it was really enlightening so I, I, I appreciate you, you you talking about that because and, and I encourage anybody if you're on a board, Listen to your fellow board members and and, and listen for the purpose of listening and understanding what they're saying. That's the beauty of being on a nonprofit board. You're surrounded by people, hopefully, that aren't like you. And it's a tremendous learning opportunity.
2: Absolutely. And and that difference in lived experiences, I think, helps the board make better decisions on behalf of the organization. And when it comes to listening, I, I guess I should have listed that under the the good traits, listening to learn, because so much of it, yes, is about what you can bring to the table. But how you frame the debates or questions you have, it's in a spirit of learning, not in a spirit of challenging. Like, how do I learn and how can we make it better? Yeah. And that's that's felt by everyone in the boardroom, right? It's felt by the other board members there. The way that questions are posed, are they posed respectfully? Are they posed for the greater good? Or, or is it an ego type question, right? Which sometimes we hear in the boardroom as well. So I think the other part of being a good board member is how do we challenge those other people in the boardroom to be a little bit more respectful sometimes if they have those questions?
0: Yeah, very fair. And you touched on this a minute ago. It's it's You join a board for the greater good. And that greater good is the mission of the organization. So every every input, every comment ought to be to further the mission. You, you may have a different perspective on how to do it, but that's where the collaborative discussion comes in. And it's you don't fall on your sword, you don't you know, take your ball and go home. It's a growing opportunity, but at the end of the day, everybody wants what's better for that organization.
2: That's right, and I, you know, I don't know your thoughts about this, but there's an interesting debate. Um, it's it's not necessarily new, but it's gotten stronger lately. Is is a board member's job to defend to the end like the mission of the organization or is it to support the community? And most of the time, those two things go together, right? The mission of the organization builds a better community, but sometimes board members have to ask the question, is what we're doing right now for the best of the community? Is there another organization that's doing it a little bit better? Could we partner in another way? Is Could we partner in a way that maybe, mm, may? Pose a few risks for our bottom line this year, but is better for the community, right? So it's also the job of the board member to ask those types of questions, um, and and just put them out there for discussion.
0: And now you're starting to stir the pot a little bit. Yeah, you're. Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. Be,
2: you start stirring uh, the pot.
0: Uh, those are challenging questions and spot on questions that boards need to grapple with and and digest and have that. That conversation determine what is the avenue that they need to take, and in the mission, you know, my perspective is, is, the mission is greater than the organization. Typically, greater than the organization. So you really, you've got an obligation, a responsibility, an opportunity to look even bigger than the organization you're serving. Absolutely. Um, So Susie, so we talked about everybody should serve on a nonprofit board of directors. And I get this question a lot from younger people. Uh, So how do I go about getting on a nonprofit board? What what, what do I do? So what do you think? So when people ask you that question, how do you advise younger folks or really anybody who wants to get involved in the nonprofit sector?
2: Great, Great question. So the first thing we ask them is, what is it that you care about? Because serving on a board for a mission that is, you know, okay for you, that's really not going to stimulate you. It's it's time that you're taking away from work, time that you're taking away from family or other obligations. So it has to be something that you're deeply passionate about. So we love to encourage people to explore. Is it animal welfare? Is it some sort of injustice? Is it youth? Is it sports? Is it veterans? What is it that you deeply, deeply care about? And then we love to help people find the right match for an organization out there that that might help to express their values. The second thing we love to recommend is find a different way to get involved. Can you join a committee? Um, And whatever that committee is, you'll get a feeling for what the culture of the organization looks like. You'll get a feeling for whether or not you feel appreciated for your contributions. And you'll get a feeling for whether or not your your work is valued and you're given meaningful work to do. I think it's really important because once you make that commitment to join a board, you're kind of all in, right? And if you've made a mistake or if you discover that the dynamics of that organization may not be healthy or right for you, you, you got to figure out how to backpedal. And some people as you know, really prefer to be involved in smaller grassroots organizations. That's a very different flavor where there's a working board. And some people really prefer to be involved in larger organizations where there's a true governing body um, that that thinks about more strategic questions on a regular basis, more generative questions, because they've they've grown up a little bit as an organization. So trying to figure out which one of those is right for you is a really good thing to do before you get too far into it. So we have a series of questions that will send people that help them better understand what they should be asking themselves and what to look for. I think the other piece of that, especially if you're talking about a younger person wanting to get involved on a board, is will their voice be heard? There's nothing worse, right? Whether it's a board that says, hey, I'm looking for some cultural and ethnic diversity, or I'm looking for a young person. And then you find yourself on that board, and they don't really want your opinion about things. They don't really want to change things. So it's, it's really helpful to understand what is the organization's willingness to accept the changes you'd like to see as that person.
0: Yeah, every night, and you touch on this, every nonprofit has its own culture. And the only way you're going to understand and, and appreciate the culture is to get involved in some form, fashion or another. You don't have to go directly to a board, being on a board of directors, but there's opportunities to interact with people and, and highly encourage anybody interested in nonpro- and any nonprofit board. And even if you have experience, to make sure you know what you're getting into. Because like you said, Susie, to have to backpedal, there's no, you know, there's nothing worse and really more harmful to an organization than the board member dropping out after X period of time and not fulfilling the the obligation that they, they took That's on. That's
2: right. That's right. It's you know it's time that the organization has to then go back and find a better fit. You know, it's it's disruptive to the organization, but also you don't want to do that as a potential board candidate either. You want to find the, the right fit for you. And so I think asking a series of questions is a really good thing. Um, I am on the board of a professional association right now, and we were talking to a new potential board member and she said, you know, would you mind if I just came to observe a board meeting? And so sometimes that works. Sometimes it's a, you know, confidential discussion that you don't want someone to be in, but that's always a, a good thing to consider because that way the person can get an understanding of how the board meetings flow is there a space where they can make a valuable contribution or not?
0: Yeah, and that's really good advice. So let me ask you this question because I get asked this a lot as well. And uh, I'm getting free consulting advice from you right now. Uh, What are your thoughts on board members contributing to the organization or being required to financially contribute? How do you respond to that?
2: That comes up all the time, as you know, and the most common question is, well, doesn't it count if, you know, if I give my time? And my answer is no, it doesn't count. It does count that you give your time love that you give your time. But it's really important to understand that your biggest one of your biggest roles as a board member is to make sure that organization has money coming in the door. And how can you expect the organization to raise money if its own board isn't giving money. But the caveat to that is that if you want a diverse board and you want to encourage all types of people to consider board membership that can offer really meaningful lived experiences on your board, you may not want to set an amount that board members have to contribute. You know, the old thing was give, get, or get off, right? But not everybody has the connections, not everybody has the money. So one of the things that we do is ask every single board member to make a gift to our operating every year and an amount that's meaningful to them. We don't judge the amount, we don't share the amount, certainly with other board members, but they need to make that gift and they should make it without being asked. The one time they should be reminded is at the beginning of the board year, when we're going over roles and responsibilities and then they should make the gift you know whenever they can throughout the board year if it's fifty thousand dollars my gosh we would love that if it's fifty dollars and that is a leadership gift for them we would love that too so i do think that the participation in giving matters and i don't think it counts if you're giving your time as a replacement for giving money what do you think
0: Exactly. exact The same thing. Uh, and I also know it's important because if you're with a nonprofit that's seeking grants, often when the grant application question is, does your board fully, fully support the organization? You have 100 percent contribution from the board. And typically the amounts aren't asked. It's just whether the answer is yes or no. And so you'd hate to lose that on a grant just because somebody didn't didn't contribute. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer, and you said this earlier, you're all in, right? When you join the board, you really are, are all into that organization. And of course, along, what comes along with that is some of the financial contribution as well.
2: Absolutely. And, and one of the things that we try to encourage, uh, governance committees to do when they're talking to candidates is to make sure the the potential board members know that at the time they're being recruited, you know, having that great list of things that these are your, yes, there may be some overall roles and responsibilities of the whole board, but as an individual, one of the things that you're going to be asked to do is make a financial contribution every year and an amount that's, that's meaningful to you. And that way it's disclosed from the very beginning. It's not something that's a surprise. It's not something that should be debated. It's just, there it is.
0: Yeah. Expectations, setting the right expectations is important. So let me ask you this. So, so we've gone through the process. Somebody now has joined a board. They're attending their first board meeting. And what, how should they behave? How, how what, what do they do the first few board meetings as they they're now a board member, which means they're now a leader of the organization.
2: Boy, that's a great question. And we're going through that now here, we have three new board members. And it's always um, kind of interesting to me, we have our first like substantial like longer board meeting coming up here at MCF with our three new members and um, next week. And I think for me and my position, it's, it's a time of a little bit of, of like fun anxiety, right? Like what's going to happen, right? It's how, how is this going to change the dynamics of the board with these three new people? So I think what we most often see is people who sit back and think, and listen, observe, you know, what's going on? What are the dynamics here? um, What are some of the questions brought up? But I also believe in bringing people on that right from the beginning are not afraid to ask the questions because sometimes the questions they ask as a newbie are questions other people have had, but they've been afraid to ask. And so I love that happening. it's also a good idea if possible you know, before that board meeting to reach out to the new board members after they've gotten the packet and just say, look, just wanna make sure you feel comfortable asking any questions about this in the board meeting. If you don't feel comfortable for some reason and there's something that doesn't make sense to you, feel free to ask before the board meeting so we can clarify it. But again, having the opportunity for new board members to interact and really get out there with questions at the beginning can benefit the whole board.
0: I think it's important for people to know that once you're on the board, you have as much right as anybody else to participate. And in in fact, it's, it's highly encouraged because those first few meetings, you're more objective than you will ever be. more more ignorant but more objective than you'll ever be as you continue to attend the meetings and get into the quote-unquote the system and the methodology
2: absolutely even asking like why do we do it this way just help me understand and so of course you're hopefully going to have board members that ask things again in that spirit of learning right and not not criticism but learning like why do we do it this way and i'm this doesn't make sense to me for for this reason or that reason it's really important and You know, one of the things that as a newer board member, I think most of the time brings the most trepidation is asking about financial statements because they are often presented in very different ways, depending on the nonprofit organization. And so being able, like in the first or second board meeting of the year, really going through those financial statements with more detail, I think is very helpful for the new board members. And again, if they have questions about financials, almost guaranteed there are other board members that have the same questions, but they're just like maybe too embarrassed to ask them at this point in the game. So that's another one
0: no doubt about that and, and while you're talking about the financials, and I sometimes scratch my head in in the the, la- the intimidation of financial statements to a number of people. I understand folks aren't uh, often financially inclined. Um, how, how, do, how do you recommend somebody get comfortable with board financials?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. It was an old board source study, but I think it said some like 80% of board members self identified that they really didn't know how to read the financial statement. Wow. So it's it's a high number. I do think this is one of the areas where the CEO can intentionally or the treasurer, you know, in an orientation session or afterwards, say, let's go through the financials, so that we can help you understand them. Because again, if, if you have a group of board members, and there's maybe only one or two people, People that understand the financials—that's a space where things can go way south, right? We can realize too late that you know something's going wrong with the money, or we don't have a good um, cash flow, or we, and we've got to make sure because, as you mentioned, Michael, from the moment someone comes on in their first board meeting and before that, they're legally and have a fiduciary responsibility to the board, so they they really should understand it. I know we've had some board members over time that have really liked kind of this board buddy system, where when you're a new board member, you have another board member that's assigned to them. And it's someone that they can comfortably go to and ask questions about financials or about other things so that they feel like there's an existing board member that they can talk to. So that might be another system. We, we did try that one year, I think it was a, a good fit for one person, someone else, I think was kind of like, I'm good with that. I don't mm-hmm. really need a board buddy. So <laughs> just just depends,
0: right? Yeah, every organization is different, but you know, the, the point here being, once you're a board member, you do have a fiduciary obligation. That's right. In most states, it's statutory. It is in Florida anyway. It's statutory. You've got a fiduciary obligation to affirm those financial statements. So, right. so if, if you really don't want to bury your head in the sand, it's a tremendous learning opportunity. Most mm-hmm. of it is not cumbersome, and it, and it doesn't mean you need to know how the debits and credits are, are entered, mm-hmm. but how to ask those questions. Yeah. Because like you said, Susie, if, if you got that question and we say this all the time, I guarantee you three other people have the question and I'm telling you three or four other people have the same question.
2: Absolutely, and and I just keep going back to so much of it is how the question is asked and the spirit of learning and understanding. And just an example came up yesterday. Sent our our newest financial statements to our treasurer to take a look at before our board meeting next week. And under the the advertising expenses, we've already spent about twenty percent of our advertising that's been allotted for the whole fiscal year, and we're only two months in. So the question is, can you shed a little bit of light on this? Great question, and of course. The reason is most of those expenses for certain things are coming at the beginning of the year and they last the whole, but it's a good, it's a fair question. So those are the types of things that, that we shouldn't be afraid to ask just to better understand, you know, what's going on with the budget. And it's just a fair question to ask because you don't want to get to the end of the year and find out, oh my gosh, I didn't ask that question in July. And now we've overspent that budget. And I just was afraid to ask about it. So
0: asking, asking questions will keep you out of, out of trouble uh, down (laughs) the road. Yeah. And, and, and i always look at it as even with advertising dollars you know it's 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 probably minor in the whole scale of things but it's still donor dollars and so you mm-hmm. still you're a steward of those dollars you want to you really need to understand and ask those questions such that like susie said you don't get to the end of the year and you've blown out the budget because that's donor dollars that you're using an area that could have been spent elsewhere
2: absolutely and and you know for clarification it isn't mm, the board wants to better the board wants to to figure out how to spend those advertising dollars right that's not what the question's about it's about the amount and like just are we are we staying on track with our budget to actual here you know how are we doing with that
0: so nice segue so i'm on the board and and i'm oriented and i'm attending board meetings uh, how do, what's the separation of my responsibility versus staff responsibility?
2: Great question, and it's one that um, that is interesting for me, right? In the role that I have now, versus like when I'm working with other boards, <laughs> so you got to be you got to be thoughtful about it. I think that one of the most important relationships is the relationship between you know the CEO and the board chair. It's that partnership. The board chair is the one that's responsible for making sure that the board is staying on the board level, which the board level is strategy planning. You know, making sure that we're doing all the things. Right at that highest level, keeping in mind their legal and fiduciary duties. And the staff's job is to make sure that they're carrying out that strategy and reporting back in a reasonable way, a reasonable way to the board so that the board knows where they are in the strategy and in the organizational goals. So I know it's different at every organization. At my organization, I think it's really important for our staff to have the opportunity to interact with the board, but the board knows that they don't tell our staff what to do. They have one staff member and that's me. And it's the board's job to hire, fire and support the chief executive. And um, but I do think it's important for them to have access to other staff members. For example, our director of philanthropy, you know, she needs to have access to the board members so she can talk to them about um, do they have a fund? Um, How can we help them get more engaged in opportunities to bring donors to the organization? Had a great conversation recently, as you know, about professional advisors and how can the board fulfill its role in fundraising by connecting us with professional advisors. So it's important to have that as long as it's very clear from the beginning that the board member's job is not to provide direction to the staff, except perhaps in the partnership that it has with the CEO. And I have seen that become a little challenging in a small community. And and just as an example, there are some organizations in Manatee County where board members also serve as volunteers at the organization. They serve as volunteers. So therefore, they have the opportunity to interact with other volunteers, other staff members, and sometimes it gets very confusing for them. Am I interacting as a volunteer or am I interacting as a board member? And what kind of feedback am I accepting? And what types of feedback about the CEO am I hearing from staff members? And is that appropriate? Where do I draw the line? So once that kind of happens in one organization, and you have that board member that serves in other organizations, it, it, that can become challenging. And so I think it is really important for board members to be crystal clear about their role versus staff.
0: Yeah, and if there's any confusion, they really should ask. Again, it's for the betterment of the organization. Now, now you touched on a, a role of a board member, and I love this because people always say, oh, I don't want to fundraise. I'm a board member. I don't want to fundraise. Well, in fact, board members are rarely asked to fundraise. What's the best practice? What is the role of a board member in helping the organization raise money?
2: Yeah. Um, I love the way Cliff Walters explains it. It's you're either a doer, a donor, or a door opener, right? Either you're going to do the actual fundraising yourself, which is some people love to raise money on boards. Not many, not many in the traditional sense in terms of asking. Um, The donor, everyone should be a donor again. Everyone should be making a gift. Um, And the door opener, I think, is one of the most important roles, which means You're willing to access your network of business colleagues, of neighbors, of people that you know in the community who may be passionate about the mission and introduce them to the mission of the organization. So that means that if there's an event coming up, my goodness, you're going to you're not only going to come to that event and get a ticket, but you're going to invite somebody that may not be familiar with the organization as your guest. You're going to have them come to the event. You're going to introduce them. It means that you are going to help identify some people that the CEO or the chief philanthropy director should be meeting. And you're going to set up a coffee with them. And you're going to say, look, there's no expectation at all. I just want to make sure that I introduce you to someone who really cares about this mission. And we're going to talk a little about it and some ways they might be able to benefit the organization. So that opening the doors is is really important. And One of the things we see over and over, I know you do as well, Michael, many times if board members aren't doing this well, it's because they haven't been given the suggestions. They haven't been properly um, oriented to all of the different ways that they can help in the development role. And I think sometimes it's because they're not being properly challenged. If they're not doing any of these roles, should it once again, come down to the CEO or the staff to have to share it over and over? Probably not. There's probably going to be a development committee or the board chair. Someone needs to be able to come back to the board and say, what are our key roles in fundraising and are we doing those?
0: So what I'm hearing you say, a critical role of a board member is a connector. And it makes sense. So whether you're young or you're older, you know, younger people may say, "Oh, I don't don't know anybody that has money. That's okay. Create the connections, invite them to an event because someday they may. But but just even, you know, the thing about nonprofits—they want more people to understand and know the work that they're doing. And as a role, as a board member, connecting people to the organization is critically important.
2: Totally, and if and if and if you're somebody that not to. You know, overgeneralize about a younger person, but if you're a younger person and you're super plugged into social, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever, one of your roles, a um, fundraising roles in terms of introductions, could be, you know what? I'm going to be a social media ambassador, and I'm going to make sure when we have something coming up or an exciting achievement or we have an article, in the, I'm going to share that on my personal networks. Let everybody know that I'm a board member, and. You know, invite them to a conversation about how they can be a small part of success of the organization. So there are so many ways.
0: Yeah, you know, we we don't like to stereotype board members, but you, you you making that statement about young people, we all think they're social media gurus compared to us, which is quite comical. And then of course, if you're an accountant, you're going to be the treasurer, right? You, can, you can't sit on any other committee. If you're an attorney, you're going to do legal stuff. It it does not have to be that way.
2: It's so so true, <laughs> so true. You know, I was just thinking about that. Um, because looking looking at some of the board members we are considering for our next term and thinking about the expectations that we have for them. And I think that's probably one of the most common ones, right? That everybody needs really strong finance people on their board. So I'm going to get a CPA. And then you you talk to that person and find out they'd love to join the board, but that's what they do all day long. They don't want to be the finance person on your board. So that's why it does make a lot of sense to to talk to the board member at the beginning. What do you hope to contribute? And what are some things that you don't want to be doing on this board. So you don't make that mistake.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And don't think you have to be forced into it, all you accountants out there. Although I have, <laughs> as board chair in the past, I have taken advantage of that. Oftentimes, <laughs> that's that's an easy an easy ask. And it's <laughs> tough for them to say no, given their role. So so what as you, people are on the board, there are some misunderstandings about what it means to be a board member. What are some of the most misunderstood aspects of being on a nonprofit board?
2: I'd say the first the first one is that it's your job to come with all of the answers. And that is not the job of a board member. It is your job to come with your perspectives, your skills, your experiences, whether they're lived experiences or things that you read a lot about, and to help move the organization forward with that knowledge and information. It's not to come with an answer. And that's, that's really tough because you're in a volunteer leadership position. Um, it's, it's difficult sometimes when you are in a room filled with other people. People that are leading their own organizations and where's my place? You know, I mean, you want to make sure that you're coming to the meeting delivering some sort of value, and so sometimes the assumption is you're just going to come in with the answer. But going back to to how you frame things, say, you know, in my experience in the business world, I noticed this, this, and this. Tell me how that might apply here. That that's a better way to to present than saying, well, this is the way. This is just the way it is, right? So thinking about um, and it, with Harwood training, right? The Harwood Institute training, we always talk about not arriving with the answers and that's a really hard thing to do, but I think that's a common misunderstanding. The other piece is that going back to that relationship with the CEO, yes, it is the board's role to hire and fire the CEO, but it's also the board's role to support the CEO. So I think like coming in with that, we're the boss of is very different than we're the partner with the CEO and how we run the organization. And I don't see that. I don't see that that issue comes up too often. I think most of the time board members really respect the chief exec. Of the organization, um, but but sometimes that can creep up. We you know we we live in a world that tends to undervalue the experience and the expertise of nonprofit staff just because they're underpaid, and so we need to understand, especially if we're coming from the business world as a nonprofit board leader, that there is tremendous skill, experience, expertise that nonprofit staff bring to those roles, and we really need to respect that. If we don't think the CEO has the right skills and expertise to lead the organization, we need to initiate um, a performance appraisal right away. We need to take care of those issues, and if those issues still exist, we need to find a new CEO. But otherwise, we need to find a great way to partner with that CEO. Partnership. It's all about the partnership. Um, So I think that that's really important. One of the other, I think, misunderstood parts of, of being a board member is that I'm just here to be a board member, not that one day I should consider becoming, you know, the board chair right? And, and so not everybody is built to be a board chair. Not everybody wants to be a board chair. Not everybody has the time. But I do think that eventually, if you're sitting there on that board, you should be asking yourself, is this a role that I could take on? That's a very hard role to fill in some cases. And so sitting there thinking that not me, it could be you. You don't have to be an extrovert to have that role. You don't have to be someone um, that has been a board chair in the past. So I think that's kind of a misunderstood piece of being a board member that not for me, you, you could be that person, right? The right person at the right time to leave for that.
0: Oh, I love that last piece of advice, and, and I hope people do uh, take that to heart. And I want to go back to one other thing that you were talking about, and it's respecting the skill set of nonprofit leaders. And I'll tell a story on myself. So I was in the for profit sector forever and didn't have you know, I served on a nonprofit board. And of course, you, you, you contribute and donate. But I wouldn't say I would ha- I had the highest level of professional respect for the skill sets, which I'm embarrassed to say now. Having worked in the sector for the last 10, 12 years, I unabashed say it is much harder to run a nonprofit organization than a for-profit. And people go, when I say that, I go, well, why is that? Well, for-profit, I can pick my customers, my clients. Nonprofit, you can't. For-profit, I can go out and raise money, you know, through an equity or however, you know, uh, uh, taking on debt, which is, you can in a nonprofit, but typically not the case. You've got. Volunteers, you've got donors. So it is the breadth of skill for an effective nonprofit leader certainly in my mind um, supersedes that in the for-profit sector.
2: Yeah, it's it's really tough. I mean, over time, I've heard a lot of people say, and and I'm grateful for their sentiment, but a lot of people say, you know, worked really hard in the corporate world. I think I want to go work for a nonprofit and just give back, quote, just give back. And I, I love the idea of just giving back, but you find that people that end up getting into those roles are like, whoa, I had no idea how complicated this is. And part of it is just the sheer dynamics of dealing with people and the dynamics of people, the dynamics of building consensus. You're not in a position very often where you can just make a unilateral decision, (laughs) you're in a position where you've got to get the input of, of so many different people. And even if you just think about how do I manage for that in a typical structure at a corporation, for example, you have one boss. If you're a CEO, you have 15 bosses. If your board has 15 people, and they may all have slightly different visions for how they see you doing your work. They should all be aligned in the strategy. They should all be aligned in where the organization is moving for its direction but they might have some different ways they think you should be getting there. So it is a, it's a fine dance. And then when you add to that complexity, Oh, well, some of those people are donors. Some of those people are giving us money. I better not, better not upset them in any way. So it's, it really is, it requires a lot of skill, the, the environment now that is changing so rapidly rapidly. I was part of a, a process earlier this week for another organization making some funding determinations. And one of the things we discussed is that some of the organizations were unfairly penalized because their clients had left that organization and gone to a different organization for help. And um, based on this system, they were dinged for that, that the person went back into homelessness or something like that. So those are the types of things that organizations have to grapple with, systems that 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 are invented by federal government to evaluate where you are, Um, every funder, and I will just say this, we are a funder, but sometimes funders make life very challenging for nonprofits without meaning to, but we do it. And the board members may not always understand um how much CEOs and how much the staff have to deal with those types of things to bring money in, just because it's it's not that complicated elsewhere. I don't mean it's it, I don't mean um, it's not complicated to generate revenue for businesses and small businesses, but you don't have all of these complicating factors that contribute to it. So, and, and, and I think that's, you know, you don't know what you don't know, and you don't always need to know what you don't know, which, which really is another statement to advocate for board members staying on that strategy level, trusting the staff, the goals are not being met, if something's not being done, then it's time to consider different types of actions, but otherwise we got to trust the staff.
0: Yeah. Another reason I think working, uh, being a member of of a nonprofit board is one of the best, if not the best leadership training and development experiences around for the reasons you just said, you're forced to stay at the strategic level, or you should, you should stay at the strategic level. There are aspects about the business you'll never know, but you want to be curious and learn as much as you can. Mm -hmm. you, You want to question things. But you're not gonna roll up your sleeves and go in and make any of those systemic changes because that's not your job. That's that is staff job. And your role is to support that CEO, executive director. Which that's is great. Really, really important.
2: Great. And I will say just from from our point of view here, when board members do care enough to ask those questions and they're paying attention, you you love it. You love it because it means that they are deeply committed to the mission, they take their job seriously, they want to make sure that the organization succeeds, not for the sake of the organization, but for the sake of the people that it's serving. You know, that's that's what it's really about, the people or the animals or the special places that you're serving. That's what it's about. And so um, I think also being able to honor and respect those things from the staff side is really important. You want to have the questions to make sure that you're doing the very best job you can can do.
0: Yeah. Well, well, you, you have summed it up and you have shared a wealth of wisdom. Susie, is there anything we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with the group about being a, a board member of a nonprofit organization?
2: You know, we've touched on a lot of things. I think I think what I would love to to leave us with is that organizations in this community and around the country are responsible for so Many important things. They also employ a lot of people. They generate a lot of revenue, and we could not do the work we do without nonprofit board members. So we need nonprofit board members. We need them to come with all of their different experiences, with their skills, with their passion for the mission. And I personally feel grateful for the people that volunteer for this leadership role because it's volunteer, and uh, we we need great board members. So thank you for giving me the space to talk about this and and just love this work.
0: Susie, thank you so much. Susie Bowie, ladies and gentlemen, Executive Director of Manatee Community Foundation. She is truly transforming our community here in Manatee County. And thank you for sharing your, your wisdom. This has been wonderful, and I look forward to seeing you around town.
2: Thank you, Michael. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks, Susie. Bye now. All right, Reed Corley. Reed has joined me now. Reed is our operations manager and sound engineer and guru behind the scenes for the podcast. And we just interviewed Susie Bowie, who's the executive director for the Manatee Community Foundation. I've known Susie for for a number of years, and gosh, what a great conversation that was on on what mm-hmm. it means to be a nonprofit board of directors member—the roles, responsibilities, the obligations, the relationship with the CEO, executive director, uh, just. Her experience is phenomenal, and 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 what what a what a wealth of knowledge she gave us. So, Rita, you're you're a younger mm-hmm. person, and and you hear this, you hear about nonprofit boards. What are just some of your key takeaways that maybe
1: um, you know other folks listening might like to hear? Yeah, well, I mean, starting from the very beginning, when she said that board members should come to the table ready to learn. To me, that was because okay. you think of being a board member as a leadership position you should maybe come with answers and not questions and so that that to me was maybe not surprising but a, a very good tidbit mm-hmm. that she said that like come to the table ready to learn be open with your thoughts especially as a new board member and because as you said as a new board member this is the most objective that you will be sure. as in your during your tenure rather so um mm-hmm. i thought that was awesome and then speaking of me being a young person <laughs> I threw up air quotes right there. Um, you, you are. Sh- yeah, sharing. Um, she shared that, Look. so first off, bringing young people onto boards is sort of a movement right now. People are trying to get diversity in age and everything. So, and I had always thought, well, what can a young person even bring to a board? Because you want board members who are going to bring a different aspect um, to the board. But so her saying that, you know, if you don't have a huge like professional relationship yet, you can be that social media ambassador, quote unquote, like, and share what what the board is doing, what the organization is doing via social media. Because if most of the members are el- or um, you know older people are not social media inclined, that is a way that a young person can bring value to the organization and share it with a different audience. Because an audience of 25-year-olds is going to be different than an audience of 65-year-olds, and um, Sharing that um, what the organization is doing over social media is, I think, a great aspect of what a young person can bring to a board.
0: Well, I I think you're right. I think that you know even the larger implications of that is every board member has something of value to offer. We all have different backgrounds and different skill sets, and so be prepared to deploy those and offer them up if if there's an opportunity to do so. And in this case, the example of young people, we automatically, we jokingly go, well, social media, but I will tell you that is actually a fact. I've seen I've seen it a million times. People my age and older, yes, we, we will dabble, but it's the strategy behind the social media is really what separates the generations from my humble perspective. So I, th- I think you're spot on with that. But the
1: point being, everybody's got an opportunity to contribute. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, that's for sure. And then the next thing that really, just the, the way that susie said it really put it into perspective for me she said board members and for fundraising best practices you can you can be a doer a donor or a door opener and to me that's the alliteration is awesome i think that um it, it really puts it in a clear picture like being the doer being that person that does like to go out and ask other people to donate or to you know provide funds for the organization and we do know people Who like doing that but as we know there are a majority of people don't like doing that Um, but then having other ways for those people who don't like to ask for money to be able to participate in it is by giving your own money and then also by being a connector for the organization Um, to me that 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 opened my eyes up a lot you don't you don't have to be the person that asks for money because the organization likely has somebody whose job that is like to be the fundraiser to be the development person so just Get your professional connections, get them connected with the, the fundraising develop d- the development officer or the CEO, and that's a great way that you can help without having to actually make the ask.
0: Yeah, it really does take the pressure off a board member. So many people assume that they have to go in and, and fundraise in this example, and that is not the case. There's other ways to, to contribute, other, way, other roles within the fundraising continuum that a board member can fulfill that really does contribute to the organization. So you're, you're absolutely right. Is there anything else that stuck out to you as a, a young person listening to this podcast?
1: Yeah, probably the the last biggest thing that stuck out to me was when you had mentioned that we tend to undervalue nonprofit staff and maybe their skill or experience levels and just working with you for the past nine months, basically full time. That's something that has come into clear vision is that yeah, people don't go into nonprofits because they don't have something else they can do. They go into nonprofits because they're passionate about the mission. They love what they do every single day, and that they're usually pretty good at it, pretty experienced. Um, So to me, that was just, it it might not, it it may be black and white to other people, but you do think of um, for-profits as being the super experienced people, Um, but in reality, the nonprofit staff is probably just as, if not more experienced in their own fields. Well, you're certainly right. It
0: is more challenging, I believe, as you heard in the podcast, to run a nonprofit. I've never run one, I've run a for profit. I've worked a lot with nonprofits, and I see the inherent challenges. And hats off to, to those leaders of those organizations, and especially to Susie. She is truly one of the, the stars in our community. She's a phenomenal leader, she's a, quite a visionary, and she is, she's transforming our community in Manatee County through the Manatee Community Foundation. And uh, Susie, we we appreciate you. We appreciate what you're doing and we appreciate you being a guest on our podcast. And so we look forward to talking to you all or listening to you all next week when we'll have our next guest as we continue the 501I501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members. Thank you, everybody, and have a good day.